Mark 14, verse 1 through 11. Sunday was Palm Sunday. He comes in, looks around the temple. Monday, he comes back. Uh, he cursed the fig tree on the Mount of Olives on his way. He's staying at Bethany. We're going to see that again tonight. He's staying at Bethany, and I'll show you where that's at on the map here in a moment. You know where it's at. Uh, he cursed the fig tree on the way in, clears the temple. When he comes back on Tuesday, he went back to Bethany. He comes back on Tuesday. This is where they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? He has the debates. Jesus has the debates with the religious leaders. Uh, and then at, at the end, uh, one of the disciples says something about how beautiful the temple is, uh, the stones, the building, meaning we've got a great national thing going here. We've just got to kind of bring everybody together, get everybody on the same page. We always get everybody united, like the, the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, get everybody to unite. If you could get everybody to unite on, on your vision, Jesus, and you could kind of combine you know, all the different political factions, we could do some great things. Look how beautiful the temple is. And he says, well, that's not going to happen. We're not going to unite anybody. All these stones are coming down. He's coming to uh, have you make a decision, and it's his way or no way. And then that's when they go, whoa. They ask the question, when will these things happen? And that thus Mark chapter 13. We've spent uh, several weeks in Mark 13. Well, now we're going to go to Wednesday. Wednesday is uh, kind of where we begin. If you look here on that first page of your notes, uh, that is Tuesday. You can see the events are all kind of written down. He starts at Bethany, uh, and he comes up. That is That would be on, on Tuesday. And just for our sake of a diagram, here's the Kidron Valley. Here's the Temple Mount. Here's the Mount of Olives over here. Over on this place, right over here, would be uh, a Bethany. Bethphage is further up here. Bethphage, Beth, Bethany. And he's go up here this way, turn, and then come into Jerusalem that way. He's going to do that every day. Tonight's story is going to take place right down here at Bethany. That's where Lazarus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, live. Uh, he's staying probably at their house. He's probably going to be at the same house during the entire time, uh, which is just very, very interesting when you consider, you know, Jesus is a, a friend and his disciples would come over. And again, they're, they're, this is just something you're going to have to accept. These people had, had money. They had, they had a nice place. If you're going to have Jesus staying there, the disciples are coming. He, there's people with money in Jerusalem. Even some of uh, the early apostles, remember Barnabas, is going to be fairly wealthy so that he can sell a field, give the money to the church. Uh, uh, Mark probably comes from a very, that's where the upper room is going to take place. I think the upper room's over on this side of the temple, on the, on the, the hill west of the, of the city. Uh, when we see the Nehemiah map, it's kind of just this part. The western hill on this side was where the, the priests and the wealthy people lived. That's probably where the upper room was at. So Jesus is having a meal in an upper room in, in Mark's mother's house. Uh, it's, you know, they've got servants. We find out in the book of Acts, they've got servants answering the door. So there's, there's uh, probably, uh, you know, some money here. And we're going to see, especially in the night story, you're going to see there's some serious money floating around here. Not illegitimate money, it's just that these, some of these people are wealthy. Um, and that's what you see on, on that map right there is Tuesday and all the details, including at the very bottom point 13, you can't see it real clear, but that's uh, the, the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus leaves the temple, comes out here and sits on the side of the Mount of Olives, that's where I ask him, when will these things happen? And that's where he begins. If it's Matthew 24, uh, Luke 21, or Mark 13, that's Jesus answering those questions. 
each writer, they're, they're all recording the same message. Just like if you'd leave tonight and I'll go home and write a blog about what I said in class, there'd be some overlaps, some similarities, but some are going to develop different areas uh, just because that is who you're writing to or what you're trying to draw out of class. It's not like, well, what you didn't say, you're not doing like a, a word by word, you know, trans, uh, what's, tra- what's it called when you transfer all the talking into words? Trans- transcript. You're not, it's not, you're not making a, creating a transcript. The disciples aren't making transcripts. Mark's writing to the Romans. Matthew's apparently writing to the Jews. Luke, he tells you, he's writing to Theophilus, uh, a, a, a knight, if you would, in, in Rome. He's a very upper class. He's p- financing the writing of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So they've got audience. Now, they're not making stuff up, but they are addressing certain issues. So Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, all address here. Now, in Luke and Matthew, they have another chapter after Matthew 24. You go to Matthew 25, and there's three parables there that kind of confirm uh, Jesus continues to talk, but they're parables of Jesus detailing some of the end times or eschatological information in Matthew and in Luke. There's another chapter of information. Mark, boom, turn the page. We're in the Passion story. We're, we're, they're all heading there, of course. Now, the next map, just real quickly, just so you can see it. I, I like to have visuals because I think my mind works that way. I guess I'm a shop teacher, so that's how my mind works. Uh, but that, this is exactly what, well, exactly. You can see there he starts at Bethany, goes up to Bethphage, crosses over the Mount of Olives, comes in, and during the day, uh, the chief priests and the elders discuss how they might kill Jesus after the Passover. So when he goes into the city, we don't have, we don't have any record of him going into the city. We're going to assume he went into the city, continued his ministry. But it's during that day, after Tuesday, where he shut down everybody's argument, won every debate, and the crowd is like, wow, this guy really has his act together. So much to the place that the disciples, apparently at the end, say, you know, look at these buildings. I mean, you've got the people on your side. We, we can make something happen here. And it really, they're thinking, again, we've got the Bible story, and so it's easy for us to become, well, you know, if I was there, I would have... I would have known what was going on. Well, they're looking to look for some kind of fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to establish the kingdom. Well, look, it looks like he is. The buildings are already done. This place is good. The crowd likes Jesus. We just got to sift through some of these priests, get through some of these religious groups. They'll come over. You've won the argument. You're obviously going to have some disciples coming out of those groups. We could probably win the day here, and Jesus can be king or something. That's probably where they're thinking, not realizing that on Friday, in two days, depending if you have a Thursday crucifixion or a Friday crucifixion, that's, that's you know, debatable. I go with a Friday crucifixion. Not that I'm against a Thursday crucifixion. It's just, you know, we were talking about some things. Uh, that he's going to be dead in, in, in 48 hours. And, and, like, and it, they're completely confused. So they're, they're not ready. They're not ready for what's about to take place. Nonetheless, in our verses tonight... It begins after Jesus has shut them down on Tuesday, Wednesday, when they regroup. It's like, we have to kill this guy. But there's going to be, they're going to have some criteria. What's going to be very interesting, we're going to look at the criteria they're going to have for killing Jesus. Because it, it, be, it can't be public. He just won the crowd. I mean, he, he, his, 
his mugshot just got released to the public and everyone's wearing it on their t-shirt. I mean, this guy is like, he's got the momentum. Uh, but yet they're, they're going to want to kill him. And so they, they know they're going to have to do it after everybody goes home. We can't do it during Passover. Uh, the population goes from, I don't know, I've got it written down, twenty-five to 35,000. And then during Passover, jumps to 85,000, up to 300,000 people in the city. And he's just got done, I mean, it was like, the, the, I mean, yeah, it does fit. It does fit. I, I got to go with it. The debate stage. And the debate stage was on the Temple Mount on Tuesday. And they, everybody asked him the questions. They had all the news networks there. The media is there. They're filming. They're asking questions. They're, they're planting questions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, some of the groups that don't get along, you know, the, the conservatives and the, the liberals are coming together to take Jesus out. So you've got, if you want to say, CNN and Fox collaborating behind the scene, planning a question with one of the reporters who asked the question, and Jesus nails it. The crowd goes, ooh. And he's winning today. It's like there's no room. There's no wiggle room. He's won the debate on Tuesday. So the crowd is behind him. And so what they have to do is kill him quietly, silently. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to arrest him. We've got to get him gone and remove him. And no one can know about it. And we can't do it with 300,000 people in town or 85,000 people in town. We've got to wait until everyone goes home. Just ignore them. Then everybody's not looking. We'll arrest him. We'll kill him. And they'll forget about him. That's their plan. Now, if you think about what's going to take place in the next 48 hours for what you understand the story, none of it's going to work. He's going to be dead before Passover. And at Pilate's house, they're going to, the crowd is going to be chanting, crucify him, crucify him. It's not just a couple of the chief priests and a couple of the Pharisees going, crucify him. They've got the whole crowd, the whole crowd that saw him win the debate within 48 hours it's like yeah kill him it's like so you can see what's interesting is we can see their plan and then we see what happens and what happens was not at all what their plan was they lose total control of the situation or they fall into god's plan who's going to have all these the, the Passover feast, all everything is pointing towards Jesus and this sacrifice. And he's going to simply fulfill the prophecies. And he's not even going out of his way to, you know, kill me today, kill me today. It's just going to just happen, which is really interesting uh, where you can see the human plan and the divine will coming together and it, God, God wins the day. But nonetheless, on page two, you can see, I, I, it doesn't give you clear indication, especially in Mark. We assume he's in, the, in town on Wednesday. But where we go from Tuesday on Mark 13, Tuesday afternoon, evening, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives answering the questions. We went through Matthew th or Mark 13. Then you turn the page, and now you sum up basically Wednesday. They plan to kill him. And then you find yourself back in Bethany on Wednesday night. Uh, and that's where we're going to be. So we don't know what happens on Wednesday, except that they make a determined plan that they're going to kill him. We skip through all the details of the day of Wednesday, and they're back on, back in the city of Bethany for the evening. And that's where you can see that right now. Um, and this is where Judas is revealed 
uh, and we'll, we'll spend some time uh, going to the book of John and see there, there's some more details there uh, that aren't in the book of Matthew I've been, or Mark. I've been trying to avoid doing that. Otherwise, we're just going to do a survey. But it is interesting because uh, Judas is going to be uh, a key player here. And John gives you some details. Uh, tonight, the story is going to be when this, the, the woman breaks the ointment the oil the perfume uh on jesus feet uh some mark says some people rebuked her matthew says the disciples rebuked her john says judas rebuked her uh and they're all that again that's not there's no discrepancy there just there's some people and judas is going to be he as we know he's in charge of the money bag this is kind of important for the story tonight he's in charge of the money in john chapter 20 we find out that judas has been taking money for himself or spending as he wants to because he was a thief the point is judas is going to be prospering making money this entire time with jesus judas is making money this whole jesus and jesus ministry is money for judas and and, and you can well you, you can see i mean we just talked about it. in bethany they, they've got money uh it, some of the disciples families they have money john and james uh were fishermen with their father zebedee which was a fishing corporation i would say corporation Matt, peter and andrew kind of had the family business so i mean and there was kind of some kind of, he had like some, a local, local fishing business compared to the, the corporation. And they were in competition with each other. So even in the, those groups, there was money. And Judas is prosperous. So we can't think, you know, your typical Sunday school story, all these people are poor. You know, Jesus says, uh, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, I just sleep in the dirt. It's like, no, you don't. I mean, he doesn't sleep. He sleeps in someone's house. He has places to go. He's not... There, there's poor people they give money there are poor people but these disciples and jesus are giving money to the poor people so the disciples are not poor now they're not ruling like kings but the point here judas is been using the money he's prospering during jesus ministry tuesday or wednesday it is decided by the leaders they're going to kill Jesus. Now, they've been talking about it since the ministry began. How do we get rid of this guy? Maybe he'll go away. It's like he just embarrassed them on the, on the debate stage on national television. And this was national television, 85,000 to 100,000 people, 300,000 people watching Jesus debate everybody and crush them. We're going to kill him. Well, when Jesus dies, what happens to this right here? Now, we know the Bible story. They all go off in their ministries around the world and they preach the gospel to all nations. Well, they're not thinking that right now. Judas is realizing, uh, I've got a good living going here. I've got a good gig. But when Jesus dies, this flow of money is gone. I better cash in now. I better make a deal. And he's going to go make a, a deal. You see, if you're going to kill him, listen. You're going to, who can stop? You're going to do it. I, again, I'm putting words in his mouth and we'll talk about it when we get there. They're going to kill Jesus. Judas is like, okay, I give up. 
I'll, I'll arrange the arrest, but I'm going to need some money. Because when I turn him over, my career is over. And Judas is planning on continuing making money. He made money with Jesus' life and ministry, with Jesus' death and the end of the ministry. I'll make more than enough to coast me on where I need to go. That is apparently Judas' thinking. Now, one of the things that his people talk about, uh, and I've, I've suggested it too, it does, there's no real indication. The Bible says he was a thief and he wanted money. That, the Bible, that's explicit. To think that, and I've said it, and I, I'm going to back off of it, because, I, I, you know, that Judas wanted to arrange a confrontation that he'd seen Jesus walk on water, seen him raise the dead, he'd seen him do a variety of things, that if Jesus just confronts thee, he keeps backing off and, and not going and f- confronting him. If he would somehow get Jesus and the high priest face to face, Jesus would have to do something uh, to cause this national revolt this, this, or this national revival of some sort. So it, some teach, and it, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just it, it's not explicit, that Judas is merely arranging, I'll, I'll hand him over, I'll make some money, I'll put it back in the money bag, the balance, it will all be balanced, I'll con- arrange a confrontation, you think you're going to arrest Jesus, but I've seen Jesus do some things, you're not going to arrest Jesus, and then Jesus wins, the money bag's all even, and we go into the kingdom. That's a thought. I don't think that's what's taking place here. I think Judas has been making money. He knows Jesus' days are numbered. And on one last play for money here, it's kind of like a life insurance plan or program. And here we go. I've said all that, and now I'm going to read for you the next 11 verses, and then we're going to come back and talk about them. Again, Jesus just finished talking in the book of Mark about, you know, watching, be alert, I'm coming back, but you won't know the hour. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. Now, Passover, and then we'll talk about Passover and Feast, are two different feasts, but they've kind of been, because they're so close together in the week every year, they've kind of become an event. It's kind of like Christmas and New Year's, if you want to have an example. The holiday season. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Uh, the, the, uh, the English standard says stealth, a stealth under the radar. They, 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 they want to arrest Jesus. They want to kill Jesus, but they don't want it public. We just want him to disappear. No one knows where the body's at. He's, you know, concrete on the feet, out in the lake, something like this. We don't know where he's at. While he was in Bethany, oh, excuse me, looking for a sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Verse 2, but not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. And that would make sense. If you read chapter 13, you kill this guy. Everyone that heard him on the debate stage is going to riot. Uh, but again, as you read the rest of the book, they don't riot. They actually side with the chief priest and for some reason start crying out, crucify him. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany, and that's, we've seen him there all week, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Uh, again, that's just, Simon must have been a man that had been healed. He's back in society. Uh, he's not at Mary and Martha's house, although he's in the neighborhood He's at Simon the leper's house. 
again, reclining. That's the position of eating. It'd be that we'd all be sitting around the table. They would lay down, as you know, like the food would be on a very low table in the middle of the room, and they would all lay, like lean on their right side or their left side. I'm not sure which one it was. And then they'd eat, and then they'd just kind of look around. And that's why it talks about the Last Supper. John was leaning against Jesus, meaning he wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like having cuddling or something. They're all just laying here, and he's like leaning back on Jesus. Jesus is talking, and he's leaning back, listening to him talk like this. So that's what it says, reclining at the table. We'd say sitting at the table. Uh, a, a woman, now we'll talk about this. I gotta just read it. A woman came with an alabaster jar that's carved out of a, a, a stone, a clear stone, translucent stone, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Comes from India, very expensive. She broke the jar, which is not the way the jars were designed to be used, and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present, there's our phrase, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? And we'll talk about that word indignantly. Why this waste of perfume? And then they've got a bunch of ideas. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Uh, and that's what it is. It's a year's wage, which it's 300 denarius, denarii. You can see in the footnotes there, the NIV translates it or, or does more than translates it. It interprets it for you. It actually, in the Greek, it's 300 denarii, which denarii or denarius is one day's wage. So if you figure there's 365 days of the year, you don't work every day. You work 300 days out of 365. Uh, denarius, every 300 days, would be what you'd make if you worked a whole year. So it'd be like a year's salary. So think about what you make, what you consider a year's salary. That's how much this jar of oil, perfume, nard from India. And it's very expensive. It's not cheap. Something they just picked up at, you know, come and go on the way over to the house. It's some. It's shipped in from india uh so it's very expensive and it, the, the disciples see this wealth just run down jesus head just just run down just he's just anointed just running all over the whole room starts smelling because it's very potent fragrance and jesus has, has it all over him and they're indignant towards her it could have been sold for more than a year's wages i mean in other words right they know how much it's worth and the money given to poor. That's worth a lot of money. That's worth a year's worth of wages. That's a waste. We could have used that for a, a we could have used that to, to give to the poor. You see, I mean, I'm sure they went right from that's a waste of money. We always are giving our money to the poor. It's like that's a waste of money. Yeah, we could have done a lot. What would you have done? Well, of course we would have wanted to help the poor. You know, you can just hear it. We're going to increase taxes, well, to help the poor. And, you know. Anyway, it's just, it, you're gonna, we're going to talk about just the, the human argument in this. And there's, okay. And they rebuked her harshly. And, and they're, I mean, they're, she's, she's starting to cry. I mean, it doesn't say that, but it's like, they're, they're in a room. Now, they didn't, when I mean, we have like a Thanksgiving or you have a family get-together, you know, everybody's all mixed together. Even, even uh, they would separate into different rooms. They'd have like the men and, and the women. They'd, all, they'd sit in different rooms. 
uh, only time the women would come into the men's area or the man cave would be if they were serving something. You know, they'd come in and they would leave. They would never come in there, sit down and talk. Well, here in the man cave, you know, all the men are reclining at the table telling, you know, stories whatever they're talking about. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? It'd be interesting to just see what the disciples and Jesus talk about in small talk, you know. Of course, we've got some recordings, Jesus telling parables and things, people asking questions, maybe something from the day's message when he talked about on the, on the Mount of Olives, the end times, maybe that was coming up, who knows. But this woman comes into the man's territory, breaks this very expensive bottle of perfume, pours it on Jesus, and of course all the men are there and then they're 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 saying things they're rebuking her harshly we'll talk about that word jesus says a a a list of things just like they rebuked her he totally wrecks them leave her alone said jesus why are you bothering her she has done a beautiful thing to me the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. <laughs> right there. You want money for the poor? Well, you're free to give any of your money to the poor. Stop taking my money. I mean, it's like, well, we got to help the poor. Well, you're free to give the poor anything you want to, but stop taking my money. I'll give to the poor when I want to. Okay, there's a political message there. But, uh, but that's what he's saying. It's like, he says, you're telling her what, where she should, you should, you should have sold that and gave it to the poor. Hey, that would not have solved anything. You're always going to have poor people. Now, you're free to give money to the poor anytime you want to. But leave her alone. Now, again, you, this, is, this is really, in a sense, if you just teach this just straight out, it's harsh teaching because it's like she just dumped this year's worth of wages. Pick that number. Pick that number. Whatever you think of years. She just dumped it on Jesus. It's like... That's all, that, that's, it's gone. It, it's, we could have, we should have talked about this. That's a lot, that's gone. Well, it, it's her money. And Jesus is happy about it. And he says, he, he's rebuking them for even thinking that that was a bad idea. But you will not always, okay, you'll always have the poor anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Meaning, he's contrasting, this is important, He's contrasting himself with the poor. We should help the poor. Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got me today. Right here. Let's think about me now again. Can you imagine a politician? You can give the poor anytime you want to, but right now I need you to take care of me. A lot of them live that way, but they're not going to say it. Jesus is coming right out and saying it. He says, you're always going to have the poor, but I'm not going to be here much longer. You ought to probably follow her example. Uh, Meaning he's separating himself from the crowd. Rightfully so. She did what she could. This is what she can do. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. What's he, again, we all know what he's talking about, but these disciples are like, well, they're thinking you're going to take over the kingdom. We're going to go in and march on Jerusalem tomorrow, aren't we? It's like, well, no. Uh, I tell you the truth, whether that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And what's interesting, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have this story in it. 
We'll talk about that. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And again, that's hinged right on that story. Uh, you, you could put a break right there. That's the end of that story. And now, and the next thing happens, oh, now Judas is going to be betrayed. It's, it's like his reaction, Jesus' reaction to this woman pouring perfume, in a sense, again, you, you judge me as I say this, it in a sense solidified Judas's attitude. It's like he may have been having thoughts, he may have been wondering, it's like, how do we get this thing? He may have been, he may have been the one who called attention to the buildings. We have some, you've got the crowd, we've got these beautiful buildings. If we just play our cards right, we can, we, can, we can take over the government. We can take over and set up the kingdom. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? There's not going to be one stone left. There's, no, there's not going to be anything left. When I get done, there's not going to be anything left. Judah's like, well, then what the heck? What are we doing? What, what, what? You're going to destroy. I, I can't keep up with you, Jesus. What, what are we doing? And then this woman comes over, dumps this oil on him, and it's like, well, listen, we're breaking temples, we're dumping out oil. It's like, come on, we've got to start thinking. Jesus then rebukes him, and Judas is probably right there. It's like, okay, this is a losing ministry right here. I don't know where this is going. Who's going to win the day? The chief priests are going to win the day. So he decides, okay. And just think of the chief priests, when they see one of Jesus, and it's probably one of his, he's not like, if he, if he rated the disciples 1 through 12, I guarantee you Judas is not number 12, you know, if they rated. Who do you think they probably rated number 12? Probably Peter, you know. It's like, you know, I'm not sure, but, you know, maybe someone we don't know. But Judas is definitely, you know, he's not the top three or top four, you know, Peter, James, and John. Uh, but he does have the money bag. And when they thought about, who was going to betray Jesus? Peter was concerned that it was going to be him. But even Judas, when he got up to betray Jesus and walked out after Jesus, one of you is going to betray me. They're all like, oh, who is it me? Is it me? Judas didn't ask. Jesus said, go do what you plan. Get, get it taken care of. Judas gets up to go betray him. Jesus gives him permission to go. And it says in the gospel, you know what it says, they all thought Judas went out to give money to the poor. When he says, yeah, you can go do what you're going to do. Well, it's probably giving that money to the poor because it probably was common, especially during the feast. So when the deceiver or the person that betrayed goes, leaves the group to go betray Jesus and Jesus gives him permission and he just got in saying, one of you is going to betray me. Why don't you go do what you need to do? They're all saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Judas says, oh, okay, see you later, Jesus. Yeah, throw in some money for me too. They think he's going to go give money to the poor. So Judas isn't even suspect. I mean, as I, as I paint this picture, you can go back and double-check it. Then Judas, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. He says, okay, he's switching sides. And you've got to believe the chief priests, they're against Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They found holes in his theology, his, his presentation. And here comes one of the leading disciples, comes over, says, yeah, I'm done with him too. It's like a politician who's got these, this cabinet and everybody's working together and all of a sudden someone from close from the inner workings of the campaign all of a sudden pulls out and says, yeah, I'm done with this. And they side with the opposition. It just solidifies in their mind, we're right. This candidate or this politician or whoever it is, 
is right, and it just motivates them more to continue on with their their plan. Verse eleven: They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Again, they've already gone through the criteria. And so there begins the plan right there. If you notice, the next thing that comes up, we'll get this next week or in two weeks, uh, next week's Labor Day, on verse 12, he's going to start talking about the Lord's Supper. So here we go. Let's look at the notes. Uh, There's several things in, that's the NIV we just read, several things in the English Standard that are a little bit uh, less uh, interpreted. It's more, you know, just the word-for-word translation. Uh, here's the, the bullet points right here. Uh, the, set, the first bullet point we've already talked about, uh, this chapter 13 begins the Passion account. Uh, Matthew and Luke include some eschatological parables after verse chapter 13, but um, Mark is going right to the Passion right here. And the next bullet point of these 11 verses, uh, what will take place is you're going to have a, a contrast between those who love Jesus and those who hate Jesus. In Jerusalem, they're planning to kill Jesus. At Bethany, they're pouring, pouring uh, a year's worth of oil uh, on him. Chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth. And there's that word, stealth. Uh, the bullet points that at the bottom, page 1. All the talk of removing Jesus now comes to a solid commitment to kill him. The leaders need these things. They need the right time, not during the Passover feast. We've got to find the right time. They need the right way. The right way has got to be in secret. So not now, later. And it's got to be in secret where Jesus can be taken and killed privately. So they, they, they want, they're planning on Jesus just disappearing. Just, you know, car crash somewhere, you know, a suicide in some jail cell. Just somewhere he just, just disappears. We don't know what happened to him. We don't really know. The video cameras are turned off. No one saw. He, Jesus just is no more. There, that was easy. They think. They don't know it's going to be the, 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 one of the biggest events, if not the biggest event, and most politicized event or publicized event in human history. They're going to do it secretly. No one's going to know. The whole world knows. Um, point two. All three of these objectives fail to be met. Jesus is killed during the feast. Jesus is is Jesus' trial ends up going public. Remember when, when they, they have to have permission to kill Jesus? So they've got to go to Pilate to get permission. But because it's the feast, because it's the holy day, they can't send a couple guys into Pilate's house or his palace where he's staying uh, because uh, they'd be unclean. They can't go into a Gentile's house. They'd be unclean. And it's during the feast and that they'd be out of commission for the whole feast so they're pilots that's why pilots got to come out on the balcony or out in front on his steps and address the leaders well by that time the whole crowd's gathering and this secret they've had four or five secret trials and now they're going to have all three they're going to bring them to Pilate, and all of a sudden everything goes public so that's going to backfire and interesting i would think after his performance on the temple mount on tuesday on the debate stage They'd all say, stop it, you're not going to do this. They'd all run to Jesus' rescue. But you can read in the Gospels, of course, they're all going to start chanting, crucify him. And Pilate's even going to try, Pilate is going to be the only one trying to set Jesus free because he knows there's no case here. He said, okay, he says, I will give you, usually I give someone, let some prisoner go free. Who do you want me to set free? This notorious murderer who's been killing people like a terrorist? 
or this Jesus. They say, we want the terrorist. What do I do with him? Crucify him. So Pilate even tries to get out of it. But the crowd turns on Jesus, which is, again, very amazing. Um, and then point one on top of page two, you can see that's the population. I, I mentioned that already. Chapter 14, verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. I remember as a kid reading nard, and all I could think of was lard. You know what I mean? Nard. Never heard of nard, but I'd heard of lard. It's like, what? Those people, that's gross. You know, so I mean very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head um yeah point four the the alabaster jar was calcite stone it's translucent so it'd be carved it was it was not a manufactured bottle a nice little bottle with a ribbon you know label on it it was a, a cut out of calcite translucent stone it's five to nine inches tall uh, let's say like something like this with a very narrow. Okay, that looks bad. Right? They're very narrow neck. That's that looks pretty good. That's a five to nine inches tall, and this is going to cost. You know, again, pick out your salary. That's going to cost a year's of wages. So this is long, narrow neck, and the small opening is going to allow you to put a little bit at a time. So this would this would cost a year's wages. I'm not sure how long it would last. I, I didn't have any reference. I couldn't figure it out. But it would last at least a year, I'd guess. I mean, you've got enough ointment there to last quite a while, and you'd use it for special occasions. And that long neck is there for controlled pouring drips, you know. And she's going to come in, and she's going to break this. She's going to break it. And again, I do not think she crushes it on his head, obviously. It's stone. It's, gla- it's, it's a, not glass, but it's stone. But she's probably going to snap the neck off so now you've just got this bottom part and when she breaks it off she's not planning on keeping any of it she she breaks it off and so whatever's in even if there's some coming up the neck a little bit if she breaks it off it all pours on his head and it's it's enough perfume to uh to cause fragrance for multiple i mean hundreds of days of events and it's all poured on jesus at one time uh, so while she was at Bethany, uh, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke it, the flask and poured it over his head. Uh, this is interesting. You can look at that map again right there, and we, we don't take this into account. Uh, we, you do, and, and you, if you've been to certain countries, uh, the, and I haven't been all around the world, but I've been some places, but we have our own way of, you know, taking care of odors, you know, if it be body odors or if it be smells from, oh, think of a place, there's certain towns I'm thinking of, and they've got factories, and, you know, uh, they just have an odor to the town. It's just part of the culture, and I'm thinking of a couple in my mind. Uh, or in the spring when they fertilize the fields and you, you go outside and it just, it just smells like, like manure. What is it? Well, it, just, it is. It just poured manure. And it, you just have to live with that smell. On the Temple Mount, do you understand what they're doing on the Temple Mount? I mean, we know if someone gave you a quiz, you'd answer it correctly. But do you understand what they are doing, especially for Passover? But they do it every day. But for Passover, everyone had to bring a lamb they would cut the lamb's neck and they'd bleed the blood out. And there's, there's still uh, uh, troughs or channels 
where blood would flow. I mean, they're on the Temple Mount center of the city, and they've got all this blood. It's like a meat packing plant. I mean, that, I mean, that's what I mean. You're just cutting the necks of animals, and then the blood's got to flow somewhere. And it, it, it's you know they don't have hoses, and they, you know they don't just spray it all down. It just flows out, and then they take the flesh, and then they burn it. They don't cook it. They don't grill it. They just burn it up. And so you got the the smell of burning flesh. You've got all this animal skin. They ha- they'd take it out, but it's all taking place right here. So this temple would have an odor to it. I mean, now the priest, there's, the Bible talks about it too, they'd have fragrances. They'd, they'd have a sweet uh, incense they would burn. Uh, part of it to cover up the smell. But then you can also be in a place where, and I think, I'm thinking of certain, you know, in Jerusalem, one thing that Tony and I talked about several times is you go certain places and you just have this, 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 this aroma, this smell of incense. It just doesn't smell like a fresh air. It smells like someone is, you got this stench, and so you're burning up something with a different smell to cover up the stench, so you're just smelling these odors. Well, that's how the city was. And if the wind is blowing in an easterly direction, you know, Bethany is going to right down there. You've got, you've got the Kidron Valley right here, the Kidron Valley, and any kind of a breeze this way is going to blow it right into Bethany, which is on the side of the Mount of Olives. And who knows what that smelled like besides just the, the, the culture. And so, that, you know, that was, that was an issue. And that's point one, two. Uh, and again, at, at special gatherings or feasts, there'd be a lot of, that they'd always want to use this kind of uh, perfume. Uh, point six talks about there uh, that in Mark chapter six, verse 37, 200 denarii could feed 5,000 people. So imagine feeding 5,000 people a meal that would cost 200 denarii. This jar of alabaster oil costs 300 denarii. Uh, point seven talks about women mingling with men. Okay, then you've got... Uh, Point one on page three, Jesus staying at Bethany. Uh, Mark eleven eleven. it says, And he entered Jerusalem and went to, into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything and it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That was what he did on Sunday. Um, oh, I should point this out on point two on page three. Uh, the, the account in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Uh, there is another story of a woman coming into a public setting, not a public setting, but a private setting, and, and pouring oil on Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her, washing his, her, his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair and things. And uh, they, they say uh, this right here in, in Luke 36 through 50, there's, there's another story of being in a Pharisee's house and a woman who was known to be a sinner. Now, this is important, not important, some people say these, we, these are the same story. They just, you know, and I don't think these are two different stories. Jesus did, did several miracles, many miracles, and some of them were similar, but they don't need to be the same miracle. Many people would honor Jesus, and in this case, a sinner comes in, pours oil on his feet, and he's at a Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee says, you know, why is this woman acting like this? And Jesus says, She's been forgiven much. This story was about a sinner being forgiven, and she is very grateful for her sins being washed away. 
And he tells the Pharisee, I came into your house and you didn't wash my feet or give me oil. He says, those who have been forgiven a lot are more thankful. Uh, apparently, you didn't have the same thankfulness. You don't feel you have the same need. So that's a story. Some people say it's the same story. It's not the same story. Different location, different people. And the woman here is a known sinner whose the issue is forgiveness and being thankful. This issue is about Jesus is going to his death. And the issue would be the contrast between Jesus and potentially the poor, which can be a cover phrase for the world, or we'd say worldly standards. And that poor is almost in quotation marks. It's worldly standards, what we want to do, we're going to call it, we're going to help the poor. But it's a, it's a cover term. And is it Jesus or is it the worldly standards? And this woman, if we go to the book of John, it's Mary. Mary is going to, are you going to follow the social standards of the world? Or do you understand who Jesus is? And she's going to choose Jesus for this, anoint, this anointing and say no to the world, and of course, they're going to throw a fit. But this person, we'll see it here in a moment, they're looking at something eternal, a different perspective, and these people over here where all the disciples are, they can't understand this. So they're going to end up rebuking her. Uh, we, we've got the same account in point three, Matthew, Mark, and John. We may go to John here in a moment. Chapter 14, verse 4, bottom of page 3. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the anointment wasted like that? Again, point one, there were some. I already said this, but in Matthew, the some were the disciples. And it says, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? In John, it says, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Click, click. Do you ever been around that? There are certain places, I can go certain places, like if it's, if it's you, know, uh, you know, woodworking equipment or if it's maybe books or something, you look at it on the shelf or you look at it in the shop, it's like, wow, that's a $5,000 saw. Now, you all have your areas. There, you, know, it's, you know, everybody has their, you know, that, that's, I'm not real good on cars. Cars are cars. You know, but some of you go, oh, that's an expensive car, or whatever. Well, notice this right here. Judas, he does just see this event take place. He sees the oil come in the room, sees the jar get broken, sees it down. He goes, that's 300 denarii right there. He knows how much it's worth. Again, good or bad, but he knows the value of this instantly. So he wasn't something like, well, I've never seen that kind of... I, I've never had a car like that. I'm not sure how much it's worth. I've never had a jar of oil like that. I'm not sure how much it's worth. No, I know how much that's worth. Just like I know how much, you know, maybe certain table saws or woodworking equipment would be. Um, he said this, it says in John chapter 12. I've been saying 20, John chapter 12. He said this not because he cared about the poor. See right there? It says it right. He says this should be given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor. I mean, just because, I mean, this is just flat out the truth. It's in the Bible. Doesn't mean it's, I mean, I'm just saying, even in the Bible, it's like Judas is using the poor as his, this is wrong, we should have helped the poor. 
By saying poor, he didn't mean poor. That was cover for his own worldly standards. He didn't want to see this. He wanted this. Now, you can't say, I'm not interested in Jesus. I want to do it, I want to do it my way. Well, I want to help the poor. And what you're saying is, give me the money and I'll help the poor. Once you get the money, you're doing it your way. And that's what it says right here. Uh, John, John chapter 12. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. That's what Judas was doing. Verse two, point two. Judas may have used this incident to justify betraying Jesus. We said that already, so he could side with the, the chief priest. Uh, these would be some things that Judas could have been thinking. Jesus seems to have neglected worldly responsibilities and accepted social standards. Um, he, in other words, Jesus is clearly, and that this is also, going back to what I said, that the, there won't be one stone left upon another. Jesus is making a clear break here. This is what is valuable. We'll use the poor, but this is the worldly standard. Jesus is clearly saying, with her dumping that oil on there, we're, this is not my goal. You're not, you're not, not even going to say you could have given this to the poor and we would have put it in the bag and we could have used it. He's, he's just saying no to the poor. He's saying no to worldly standards. He's saying it's all right here. Next. Uh, B, Jesus seems to have accepted honor and extravagance that could have helped the world. And this is interesting, too, because if Jesus, you know, sometimes Jesus speaks as a man, he acts like a man, because he is a man, but sometimes Jesus acts like God, speaks like God, because he is God. And so there's times where Jesus is tired, because he's a man. There's sometimes he can say, I knew Abraham, and Abraham wasn't like that at all. And, then, and again, when he says that, uh, that we said before, but the, the religious leaders understood him to say that he was alive in Abraham's day. And he says, you're not yet 50 years old. You say you've seen Abraham. Now we know you've got a demon. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Well, that's not Jesus talking like a man because Jesus was born as a man. It's recorded in the scriptures. It's prophesied in the scriptures. But before Abraham was, I am. It's like, whoa. And it says, they understood because it says they picked up stones to stone him, the leaders did, because he said that he was God or that he was equal to God. It's like, no, no. Jesus, no, I am. I mean, he's, he's, he's saying that's, that's the divine name of God, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so this right here is a situation where Jesus is God uh, and for Mary to, Mary, Mary's the hero of the story. You've got all the disciples. Some, in, in the book of Mark, uh, in Matthew, the disciples, in John, Judas. But the disciples are in this group right here, still trying to figure their way out. But Mary separates from the whole crowd and comes in, and it is, this is not a, a, like a love affair. It's like she's not like she's got a crush on Jesus. This is she sees now what she she sees something. And I've said it before: if anybody understood what was taking place, and I, I you can't you can't say she understood everything, but I can I, I would be I, if I was you know we're all 
placing a bet, and somebody in heaven, we're going to even up all the bet scores. I'm going to say Mary, at this point in history, understands more of what Jesus' ministry is than all 12 disciples. I mean, she, she somehow knows he's going to do something. It's not take over the kingdom. He's going to give himself. It says that right in Isaiah 53. He, he's going to pour himself out. He's going to give himself. Psalms talks about it. Genesis, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Yes, but the serpent will bruise his heel. There's going to be a price. Jesus is the winner, but he's going to have to pay a price. What kind of price? I think he's going to die. I think he's stinking going to die. Now, what that means, if she could have preached, you know, a message of salvation, but I think Mary understood that something was going to happen to Jesus, and it was on purpose, and it was bigger than anything in the world. And she comes over here, and Jesus picks up on that. And why is she honoring Jesus? Because he's God. And I, I, People have said this before, uh, and it's, it's sometimes you see in very, very weak arguments. Uh, you know, like with God, you know, he accepts worship. You know, he thinks everything revolves around him. Like he, he, he wants praise and honor. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, he's God. It's like if, you're, if you say, well, Galen, you're so great. You say, well, thank you very much. Well, you don't know me. Thank you very much. You, what you see is, is what you see, but there's a whole other side of me that's not worthy of praise. Now, that would be me not just being humble. That'd be me being honest. It's like, thank you very much, but it's like, it's, it, tone it down a little bit. Where God, it's like when you start saying how great he is, it's kind of like, what is he going, oh, come on. It's like, I'm not all that. It's like, yeah, you, I, yeah, it's like, if he's honest, it's like, I'm it. I'm the alpha and the omega. I created life. I create everything. Everything revolves around me. It's all in me. Yes. And Jesus is now God. And when she comes in here, she's recognizing him as worth all that she has. Do the disciples understand this? So, again, that, that's an important understanding there. Judas and his the disciples, point C, seem to be speaking in love for others and concern for the poor, but they're not. Jesus seems to be accepting the behavior of a person who is very short-sighted. She comes in and breaks this, and Jesus should have somehow toned that down, says, Mary, stop, you're about to do something very ridiculous. He just lets her go through with it. And in this size right here, you can see, you can see, and this is, this is a conflict that's already here, and it's coming if it's not already in your life. This does not understand this. What you value here cannot be understood. They're not just against it. They do not understand it. Why are you wasting your time and your money on something that you can't even see? Well, because this is real. This is eternal. And likewise, why are you wasting your life on something so temporary that's fleeting away? This isn't just like, this is exactly uh, the widow, the widow's might. In the widow's might, she put in, this, this woman put in much, a lot, crazy amount, ridiculous amount. And they go, that, that's too much. And Jesus says, no, it's not too much. She did the right thing. In fact, if I read on, he's going to say, uh, she did it before my burial. 
when I'm buried, you're all going to do it. Because that's how, when they, they came to the tomb to put spices on the body, because that, that body is decaying for a year, it's laying there decaying, and they would come in and put spices on it so that it would not just smell horrid. And so what she's doing here, they're all going to do it. But the widow, that looked like the least. And Jesus says, no. All those that put in much over here, the, the treasures that they put in, this is the least. This is the greatest. So here the widow puts in just two little coins. That was more than all this money. She puts in all this money. He goes, this is not enough. So it's just the contrast is just uh, continuing. All right, I got to hurry. Um, okay, next, chapter 14, verse 5. For this an, uh, ointment, they say, chapter 14, verse 5, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now, you see that word in the box right there, point two, scolded. It is E-N-E-N-E, bramanto. It means to uh, be moved with anger. I spelled that wrong. And to admonish sternly. The word, even in the Greek, when you read in the Greek, when the meaning, it expresses a snort with indignation. It's like, you've ever, you've ever, you've done it or you've had it done to you or you've seen people do it. It's like, it's like, it's like, what are you thinking? I mean, it's like, it's, it's like, this is, this is even not worth addressing. This is so, I don't even know what to say. The disciples, when they see her do it, they snort it. It's like, what was that? And she's in this room of men now, Jesus, the 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, Judas, the local friends, Simon, the leper, who's been healed, and they're in a house, very wealthy house, and she does this, and they snort at her, and they begin to rebuke her. The room of men begin to correct this foolish woman. Uh, they begin to scold her. But Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I'm going to read the next verses. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world and what what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, I read all those verses to come back to page 5. What Jesus says, that was, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things. Jesus, they scoffed at her. They snorted at her. And Jesus is going to come back and looking at this, the world over here, we'll just say the world. Uh, they're calling it the, uh, the poor. You know, we want to help the poor. Jesus looks at this, and seven times, he gives them seven, seven rebukes. And here's what he says, if you want to follow this, on page 5, 1a. Uh, Jesus instantly comes to the woman's defense. He says, why do you trouble her? Jesus turns and rebukes the critics for not meeting his and her social standard. Instead, they're meeting theirs. In other words, he's got his own standard over here. The standard of the kingdom, the standard of the Son of God. This is the standard over here. And he says, why are you doing that? You should be over here. He's, he's snorting at them. It's like, what? 
You don't see that? They go, what did she do? He goes, you don't get it? You, you don't get it. So he won. He rebukes them. Why do you trouble her? You're the one that's, we're, we're snorting at you. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus clarifies her behavior. It was beautiful, and it was done to Jesus. Again, the subject, he says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. This, it's like, this is about me. You're snorting at her, but you're snorting at what she's done to me. And then he goes on and says, uh, verse point C, you always have the poor. Go do what you are, and so, you're so concerned about it, uh, whatever, you're always going to have. If you're so concerned about the poor, don't snort at her. Why are you sitting here? Go give them something. Go take care of the poor. Uh, point D, you will not always have me. In other words, they don't understand where he's going, but he is here for a moment. He's come out of eternity. He's here. You're always going to have the poor here, meaning you're never going to solve this. You can never have a, enough political activity or enough religious activity to solve the world's problem. The world is under sin. The world has fallen into sin. It's always going to be a dumpster fire. Starting out the Garden of Eden. We come out of the Garden of Eden, the dumpster fire started. Well, we're going to solve it. No, you're not. The best you can do is help the more you, best you can and call to Jesus to move this along right here because the only one's going to solve this problem. He says, me, I'm not going to be here much longer. You're always going to be here. You'll always have the poor with you. Point E, she has done what she could. Now, what she can't do, she can't be a rabbi. She can't be an evangelist. She can't go off and rule a kingdom. She can't go off and... No, there's a thousand things she can't. There's a thousand things I can't do. But you know what she can do? She can bring that perfume that she can afford and bring it in here and dump it on me and honor me and prepare me for my burial. She can do that, which means, uh, the point, we all have things that we can do. You can't, I can't do what Mary did. Mary can't do what I can do. She did what she could do. You guys have other things you're supposed to be doing. No, I, if, if Peter came and dumped a, you know, a glass of oil on Jesus, he'd be like, what are you doing, Peter? Maybe he'd accept it, but that's not Peter's part. She's done what she could. This was her gift. F, she has anointed my body before burial. In other words, her actions were early. In a few hours, many are going to be doing the same thing. They do it to dead bodies all the time. And again, I point out there, Mary, Mary, Mary have been, may have been one of the only people that understood. And point G, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You and your false social standards, all you, you especially Judas, you and your false social standards, you're going to be forgotten. Of course, Judas becomes famous as being a, a betrayer. But what, what you've done is going to be mocked. But wherever the gospel goes and she recognizes who Jesus was, her story is going to be told because she's one of the world that understood this. She is going to be honored right alongside Jesus. The gospel goes around the world. She's going to be honored. In other words, gentlemen, we're moving towards this standard. Whatever you're arguing about today, that's, that's not going to, But wherever this goes, she's, her story is going to be right here with because this is the new reality. This is where we're heading. And, of course, they don't understand it. Judas is completely ticked off, and that's where you end up point uh, we're going to finish on page 6, uh, chapter 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, it says right there, it says, then, and you can see the Greek right there. 
and it says, and Judas Iscariot. I mean, it's a continuation. It doesn't mean new thought. It's like this happened, Jesus rebuked him, and Judas, he's done. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm. And Judas, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So now, guess what? Judas is going to get money to betray this. He's going to betray Jesus and get money. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have given that money. She was honoring Jesus. He just reverses. He just does exactly the opposite. I'll, get, I'll dump out Jesus if I can get money. Are you going to honor Jesus or are you going to honor the money? And there, there it is right there. We'll pick this up. Next week we start talking about, in two weeks, we start talking about the Last Supper. We're definitely moving into the Passion Story. I'll pray and we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would be able to judge our hearts, be able to evaluate our own lives and decisions and live a life that is pleasing to you, that we'd be able to recognize the world and its system, you and, and you and your kingdom, and be able to tell the difference and follow you and your kingdom into eternity. Again, we thank you for this opportunity and ask that we may be good witnesses for you at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.